If you will, turn with me to 2 Peter. Glorious privilege it is every time to open this book. It is a gift from God. 2 Peter, as you know, 1 Peter, as pastor, has been faithfully laboring this past year. 1 Peter was persecution coming from on the outside. 2 Peter is persecution coming from the inside. So you'll see in both of these epistles, this beloved apostle that once denied our beloved Lord has been restored and he's exhorting us to stay alert and he's arousing us to be reminded of this truth because even the pure and sincere in mind can have bad memory. I'll say that again. Even the pure and sincere in mind can have a bad memory. So if you will, take, take your Bibles. This morning, we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7, But I'm going to read in the context, verses 1-9. through 9. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may... Be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets in the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. As an introduction, this topic of this introduction is called delays. Delays. Just recently, my wife and I went, we went on a vacation to Fort Lauderdale, and on our trip back, we were flying out of the airport there, and our flight was delayed two hours. Well, next thing we know, we see everyone coming back off of a plane, sitting down, and there was panic, chaos. Everybody was in a frenzy. People were murmuring, yelling, and I, I just took the time to just be still and read and just start praying. Um, as I was looking all around us, you know, people were saying, they should give us free drinks. You know, meaning probably more than I think this man in his context was saying alcoholic beverages. And everybody was saying, yes, amen, yeah. But uh, nevertheless, he looked around and I thought, you know, America is considered the wealthiest country. And you know, we're in a hurry. Always seem to be in a hurry. You get on the road this day, people will run you over. Always in a hurry. Always in a hurry. What is the hurry about? 
So, as I want to introduce this, this text and frame this text, I believe each year we see that we're waiting less and less. For example, let's bring some things. Traveling, now we can travel as things once took months, we can be there in hours. Think about this, when you used to be able to write uh, postcards, now it can be done in an instant message. Meals, which took time, two or three hours to cook, going to the market, getting fresh food, fresh produce. I used to see my mom do it. Now it can be express cook, one push of a button. But not even that. Now it can be even meal prep throughout the week and brought to your door. You don't have to do even push a button. Not even that. Let's go a little bit further. How about we dabble into our finances? While wait and save money, we can just take a piece of plastic and swipe it. How about let's go to the greatest common grace that God has given man, marriage. If I get married, we can just enjoy the pleasures of sex without getting married. More and more we see the tides of this world. It's not coming in, it's going out. And it's going out rapidly fast, in a hurry. So as you see, waiting confronts all of us in some form or fashion. It confronts us. Because ultimately God's timing is not our time. Yes. Men do not enjoy waiting for anyone, anything, and including God Himself. This whole text right here that I just read is about the second coming of the Lord. Yes. Jesus is going to restore the glory unto His name. And He's going to make all things right. Yes. Uh, but the redeemed of the, of the church, beloved, if you look at throughout history, you know Noah. He was mocked. It took a hundred years before the flood. He waited. We saw Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac and the promises that God would give him a son. How about Moses? Waiting all his life. He was prohibited to go in the promised land. But hundreds of years later, those would go in and inhabit the land. But God's promises are never late. They're never late. But there are mockers, which Peter is trying to say, be on guard. And what Peter's going to do, beloved, what he's going to show us to be reminded, he's going to show you their leaky logic. Their leaky logic. Because only God's Word is truth and can hold. Yes. Leaky logic. What he's going to show you is their lifestyle, their unholy, and in their creed. They're going to have a form of religion. They're going to say all key words of your fathers. They're going to use all key words of religious genre. They're not ignorant of the things of God. They know the Word of God and that's why they're mockers. Because mocking is a deliberate sin. So persecution, affliction, suffering, and waiting on the second coming of Christ can either cause one or two things. It can cause growth or it can cause bitterness. Your response will determine the result. So if you will, let's look at... I'm going to try to frame this. Peter's trying to get our attention. And he's going... What Peter's trying to do here... There's three arguments. I'm going to look, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and then 5, 6 and 7. So in verse, there's going to be three arguments that Peter's trying to show us the credibility 
He's going to try to ground the credibility of the second coming of Christ. And it's going to come through three arguments. The first argument, remember these three R's. The first one is remember God's Word in verses 1 through 2. The second argument is going to be in 3 and 4. It's going to be the ridicule of the scoffers. And then third, it's going to be the rebuke of scoffers in verses 5 through 7. So these are the three arguments that we're going to try to cover this morning by God's help. There's a lot that I want to share with you all. And so if you will, let's look at verses 1 and 2. The first argument, which this beloved epistle, this apostle Peter, he's not typically known as the, the apostle of love. This is more or less John. But here's a salty fisherman that has been changed. And he says, beloved I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by holy, the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Let's stop right there. If you will, flip with me back to... I want to, I, this word beloved, I want you to read this for yourself. Because He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you this morning. Those that have totally rested in Jesus Christ. This, if you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy. uh, Three chapters back from where we read this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want you to hear, this is what God thinks of the word beloved. Yes. This is what the word beloved means. It's a chosen people by God. You are beloved by God. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Starting in verse 6. This is who you are. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. This is just dripping. It makes you want to fall down. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure. A special treasure. Above all the peoples on the face of this earth. The Lord did not set His love on you or choose you or chose you because you were made in the because you were more in number than any other people, for you were least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, the Lord loves you. And because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of them with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let's stop right there. That's what the word beloved means. Peter is saying, I love you, and you're loved of God. But God, especially more than men, because if... Every man on this planet is angry at you and God's please. You're good. Like we just said this morning, I always remember that verse, Psalm 7, 11, because that's where you get gas and it's flammable. <laughs> so just remember, it's a good way to remember Scripture. But nevertheless, this morning, look what he says, Beloved, I now write to you. Do you see the, the tone of this? He's like, Beloved, I write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. It's almost like he's just writing the beginning of the introduction of this epistle. But in life, sometimes we have fire drills. 
In life, we, have, we go from important to urgent. It's almost like something was more urgent than what he was trying to stir up their minds. And it was sheep. There was wolves in sheep's clothing. And that needed to be addressed. And that's love. So now he's getting, speaking directly to the beloved. Not longer, no longer to, I hate to say this, I'm going to go ahead and say it, incarnate devils. They're incarnate devils. They're in the flesh acting like the devil. Their father. Like father, like son. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle on both of which I stir up your pure minds. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that just grab you? Pure minds? It makes you almost feel like you got a mirror pointing back at your own heart saying, Am I pure? Am I really pure? It's, that searchlight goes on. But that word really pure means really sincere and serious. Serious. Pure, sincere, and serious. So what, I write this to stir up your pure minds. I started really digging into that word, stir up. And Pastor, you guys will probably really enjoy this since you like to make fires. And I I see those pictures are nice and cozy. But when a fire starts to go out, you prod it to make the embers stir a flame that you can have a bigger fire. So what he's saying is, simply... Fan into flame what the Lord has taught you. Fan into flame that gift that you've been given. The mystery of heaven. Fan it into flame. If you need somebody else to help prod you, do it. Keep ablaze that gift. So, like I said, anyone knows how to tend a campfire knows that stirring or glowing embers can die. Like I already said, a pure and sincere mind can also have a bad memory, can also lapse, can get distracted. So that's what the Apostle Peter here is doing. He's prodding us like a fire. A fire gives off two things, light and heat. Light and heat. Light and heat. We naturally go grow cold and we all need to be stirred to develop the gift that the Spirit of God has given each one of us. That we walk and not bring dishonor to His name. So, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to stir up ourselves and one another? I just... Some things I started to study is, of course, godly discipline, buffet our bodies. Don't quench what quenches the fire. What quenches the fire? Sin. Going nearness to what quenches the fire. Avoid every appearance of evil. So, also meditating and asking questions. Stir yourselves up to holiness. Um, not Not neglecting the Spirit of God, but allowing Him to thrive in us as a flame. This this morning, if you continue, look pure minds by the way of reminder. Really, reminding is like a picture frame. Being reminded is the picture frame in this whole these two epistles. He's trying to remind us that stay focused. There's greater. There's a greater day coming. There's a great. The great day is coming. The great. So that you may be mindful, mindful of the words which were spoken. By the holy prophets. Notice he says the holy prophets. We just, I want to share this with you. There's no more false prophets. There's only false teachers that are counterfeits of the false prophets. 
they always duplicate and replicate the things of God. They're always imitators. So there's no more false prophets. Those utterances that people say they hear, it's gibberish. It's foolishness. Really, they're walking in, in the sensual desires of their flesh because they have rebelled willfully against the things of God, so they're only given over now to sensual desires of the flesh. So if you will, I want to get to the heart of the matter and I want to take this garb off of these scoffers. It says the holy prophets. The holy prophets. MacArthur, I really like how he breaks down this. From Genesis to Revelation, discusses the foundational characteristics of true prophecy. True prophecy. I'm going to give you four ways that you can test True prophecies. Number one, they're always verbal. Always verbal. Because it's the very words of God. Notice this. It's never an impulse or feeling on an experience that needs interpretation. True prophecy is always accurate and precise. Number two, it's always testable. It's either true or false. Deuteronomy says that when it was tested, it was, it was condemned and, and put to death. They were put to death. So it's always verbal, it's always testable, and it's always error-free. Error-free means it's utterly unaffected by no matter how much the human is involved in it. Because God is using that person as a vessel. So it's error-free. True prophecy is always error-free, and it's always authoritative. So, it's always verbal, it's always testable, always error-free, and it's always divine authoritative. So that's how we can test the prophecies. But beloved, I want you to always remember this. There is no more false prophets. There's only false teachers that are still teaching the damnable heresies of these false prophets. They, they're passing a baton. And it's a false one. It's cotton candy that will rot your teeth out. And it's not sustainable meat. Christ said, those that eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That means His incarnation and His death. That's what we're to feast upon. The life and the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So, thinking is more than a mental process or or an assent. True thinking involves the ability to discern what is truth from error. And then apply it. So where does this come from? Where does this discernment come from? That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.18, it says they have, they're darkening their understanding. They're darkening. They're walking in darkness. Because there's no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of God, God gives His children discernment to discern what is truth from error. Because the Spirit of God is the power generator. It gives us the ability to receive and then believe the truth. So what is this commandment right here in verse 2? It says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles and of the Lord and the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Beloved, I believe this is all the inerrant, this is all 66 books. The church of God, some people will say, I discredit the Old Testament. This is saying all the holy prophets, New Testament and all of them. 
Everything, and even the apostles. They say in the law and the gospel, it's all inerrant. It's all God's Word. So, the central command of the gospel, I believe what Peter is getting to here, I believe comes from Matthew 48, which is part of our Lord's uh, Sermon on the Mount. Be ye perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the command I believe that they're aiming at. So, that's the first argument that we see. There's a big difference going to be between the form and fire that we're talking about coming up here. There's a big difference between form and fire. So, knowing, look at verse 3. Here comes the second argument. The ridicule from scoffers. Ridicule is simply put, disrespect. A creature to disrespect its creator. Not only is this, I believe, aims at your fate, but this is ultimately at the hope of your fate, which is God's going to come back. Jesus is coming back. He first came humbly, but He's second returning with all the armies of heaven. Verse 3, knowing this first. It's not, a, it's not a list that Peter's trying to say, but he's trying to say knowing this first, is this is very vital and at the top. You need to be able to identify these people. Mark them out. That scoffers will come in the last days. The last days is from the resurrection of Christ until now. As many people, I'm sure you believe, we're in the last of the last days. Because it says in the last days people will be lovers of themselves and then the sewer pipe flows from there. That is the sewer pipe that all other vices will flow from is the love of self. And you'll see this in their own lifestyle. And Peter's exposing their leaky lifestyle and their leaky logic. Because bad doctrine ultimately will always lead to living unholy. Always, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. I believe this is lust gone wild. Lust gone wild. No restraint. Eat, drink, be merry. They want the finest things, the luxurious things. This is where their heart is. And I want you to, I want to reveal their hearts. If you will, let's go to Psalm 119. And I want to get to the, the heart of what God exposes their heart. Not by what their mouth says, but let's get to their heart. Psalm 119, uh, verse 70. Psalm 119. Let me find Psalm 119, verse 70. You ready? Their heart is as fat as grease. Their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in your law. Let's Let's stop right there for a second. What is fat as grease? What is this? Do you know if you took a pin and you poked a pig in the side, he will not feel it until it hit his muscular tissue. Because the fatness makes you insensible to the admonitions of God. He's talking about the heart. So what are the symptoms of this fatty heart? You ready? 
What are the symptoms of this fatty heart? There's four of them. Number one is pride. Number one symptom of this fatty heart is pride. Number two, they hate the Word of God. If they hate the Word of God, then they hate the people of God and and His messengers. You will not be liked. Never has, never will be. Oil and water don't mix. Number four, they're always ready to lie. It lies on their tongue. And you know, you probably have people in your family, everyone that this is exposing them. Friends, co-workers, they're always ready to lie and it doesn't matter about what. It, it just as a, as a passing of breath can look at you like my wife was telling me she has this funny video that where this kid has been in the cookie, had been in the cake and he, and he eats this big blue cake and the father says, did you eat that cake? He's got blue cake all on his face and just bowl faced. Just no. And blue icing is all over its kid's face. And it just naturally says no. But you know, and lastly, the symptom is fatal. This fatty heart is a fatal thing. So the question is God doesn't desire any of these people, anyone, even the scoffers. He doesn't desire them to perish. So what is it? Repent. Repent. Creating me a clean heart. So, if you look at this, as uh, Spurgeon said in the, in the, in the treasure, treasure of David, he said, number one, the, the, you see this fatty heart? It's a fatty degeneration of the heart. And on the second end of this, it says, but I delight in your law. This is a thorough regeneration of the heart. So number one, you have a degeneration of the heart. Then you have a thorough regeneration of the heart. But I delight in your law. So of course you know. Sin is a downward spiral. This fat is grease. is only sensual indulgence. Growing insensible. Coarse. Grumbling. As sin did Solomon. It binded him and grinded him. And it ultimately blinded him. It makes you stupid. In our natural sense, we, we were all once scoffers. Yes. Not verbally saying it, but Satan and his damnable doctrine is always telling us, surely you won't die. That still teaching is still prevalent today. Surely you won't die. Still going on today. But God says in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man to die. That we all have an appointment date. It's appointed unto man to die. Then comes the judgment. Yes. So that's why this beloved, if you flip, flip back with me to Second Peter. So that was their hearts, as fat as grease. And that's their symptoms of their heart. I always remember this. Scoffers indeed demonstrate that they are apostates in word and in deed. In word and in deed. If you will, um, before I go any further, uh, I believe that Peter has in mind, I'm going to just read again. This is ridicule from the scoffers in verse 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, and they all continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So in verse 1, 
We see Peter saying, remember, remember the truth. But knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. And notice they ask a question. They ask a question. This is not a sincere question. This is a question of ridicule. You know, our beloved disciples, even our disciples in Matthew 24, came to Jesus and said, when will the end of times come? That was a different motive. They're asking when. Notice they're asking where. That's that's key. They're asking where, not when. Where is something that you see. When is in time. Time is not visible. If you will, flip with me to Matthew 24, and this is what I believe Peter has in mind that he's gleaning from, because all of these epistles are only commentary to Jesus' sermons. Matthew 24. Let's hear from the Master Himself. Our friend, our advocate, our mediator, our life, our food, the love of our life, the light of our life, the bright morning star of our life, our guide, our shepherd, our rock, our bulwark. Let's hear from Him. Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 3. Now, as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of age? This is a... This is... Please uh, tune in your ears. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed. They're going to play upon the own deceptions of your own heart. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and would deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And, will, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And when then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's what Peter's trying to keep us from doing. He's trying to keep us from growing cold. He's trying to keep us from becoming like Laodicea, like lukewarm. He's trying to keep us from that because the pure and sincere mind can still have a bad memory from growing cold. But he, notice this, this is key, but, this is key, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. I believe this is where this is where Peter is uh, leaning from. The scoffers will come in the last days. If you flip back verse three, knowing that scoffers will come in the last days, we've already seen that their heart is fat as grease, because they're full of pride, and all they live for is the sensual desires of the flesh, because they cast out 
all the restraints and all the common graces that God has given them because they know the Word of God, yet they have denied it. Not denied it, but denied Him. It's a person. As the Armenian says, I found it. No, 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 He found you. It's not a it, it's He found you. So getting in verse 4, notice what they're saying. Where is this promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, notice they use all the right genre, religious genre. It's accurate. And things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. If you look at this, if you'll look at this, they say, where is the promise of His coming? Arrogantly, these scoffers are denying the judgment day will come. Because if you're living comfortably in sin, you have to change that a God and a judge even exist. So arrogantly, these scoffers deny even if they can go back to the beginning of creation. Notice they go to Genesis. Notice where they go. The very first word in the Bible, in the beginning, God. It all starts with God and it all ends with God. So notice these scoffers are not interested, like I mentioned, in the when. They're interested in the where. Does this sound very familiar? Has God said indeed? Has God said indeed? Same questions. They get these questions from their father, whom they're under his dominion. Very cunning. Very, very cunning. Hint, they doubt the truth. Notice they say where, not when. So it's the validity of the truth of God. They play fast and loose with God's Word. It's right there. Where? Where? Just like the Jewish people did before before the exile. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us. Again, this question is not of innocence or a request for information. But it is blatantly a proud unbelief in their own heart. They have become resolved to do evil because they love sin. Malachi says, You have wearied him by asking, by saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Where is the justice of God? Jeremiah 17 15. Where is the justice of God? How dare a man, a creature, call God to his bar? How can this be? That is insane. You're senseless. You're sensual. Shameful. And you're seriously stupid. That's what sin does to you. They're basing these questions upon a perverse unbelief in the unchanging nature of the world. And notice how Peter answers them. If you're going to go to the beginning, let's go to the beginning. Let's go there. I'll take you there. Okay, God created the heavens and the earth with the Word. He sustains it with His Word. And He destroyed it with the Word. Yes. Nothing's changed. They're still finding seashells on the Grand Canyon floor up, up top on the rim. John MacArthur said they're all around. He's found them in his backyard. But not to get into... What's that? Anthropology? But... uh. We'll stay to the Word of God, but it's by God's Word. 
So they try to go to the existence of God even as evolutionists. This is called, the term is Unitarianism. Uniformitarianism or something like that. Where they believe everything never changes. It's uniform. These trees tell us there's change. There's change. And it's coming a great change. He sustained it with His Word. He destroyed it with His Word. And He's going to bring the same way. The heavens will open and uh, it will be destroyed with fire by a word. Yes. You remember, he says, if you will, look at, uh, they, notice this in verse 5, for, the, for, for this they willfully forget. <laughs> they willfully forget. That's a little bit of sarcasm, but it's like, they willfully forget. It's like, you, 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 you play fast and loose and want to pick and choose of what you want to remember and what you don't want to remember. But by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So if you will, I guess I've already started in verse 5 through 7. This is the rebuke of the scoffers. And Peter answers their question. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that was then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly. So Peter answers his opponents by reminding them that they deliberately forget two vital facts. The flood and the destruction of this world. So, in closing, so this is where I want to, I want you to, let me find it. So here it is. So in closing, if you will, remember this, as in Paul says in Galatians. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It is a pity to faint just when time is coming to reap. So keep on sowing, keep on sowing, and keep on sowing. We are debtors to infinite mercy. Yes. Really faintness and growing weary. So there's a temptation there to grow weary. And that's what Jesus said. Stay here. Pray that you do not fall asleep. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Beloved, as I have grown more by God's grace, prayer is hard work. Prayer is really true ministry because out of that relationship you're showing your dependence upon God. When your prayerlessness is your independence from God. When your prayerlessness, your independence from God is manifesting itself. So the question we ask, how do we take heed? How do we not fall into this lukewarmness of heart? He's saying, remember what the beloved... Peter said right here, 
Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. By way of reminder. So this morning, God's promises are not slack. And all His promises are yes and amen. So when God hasn't, through your fervent prayers, through even prayer, you haven't been even... He's, he's preparing that mercy so that your praise will be that much greater to Him. So when He holds back, delivering you from either persecution or temptation or from slander, and sometimes we want God to vindicate. Sometimes we, we desire to God to... You know, you probably have sense in your own walk as being foreigners here. Some days you feel like you can take a rock and slay Goliath. And some days you feel like Elijah, you want to run and hide from Jezebel. Or be even like David, for instance, and foam in the mouth and act like an insane man. Don't you feel the fickleness of your own faintness and your own weakness? But beloved, remember this. In our weaknesses, His strength is made perfect. So He's saying, bring them to Me. And I will perfect you. My strength will be made perfected. And that is such a liberating thing. Because the world tells you the exact opposite. Is that you're the victor. All strength and all the answers lies within yourself. If you look to self, you'll perish forever. Look upon Jesus and you shall be saved forever. So let us pray.